getting high On our own supply, we getting high On our own supply, hey, giving you the game All facts, no lies, Hello and welcome to High on Our Own Supply, a podcast sponsored by Confident Cannabis. I'm your host, Brad Bogus. Welcome to our second COVID-19 special. If you missed our first one, we talked with three different companies in the retail and delivery space about how the crisis is affecting their end of the supply chain. Go check it out if you didn't hear it. It is an incredible resource for how their businesses are functioning right now. In this episode, we are profiling three different producers about what their world is like, what changes they're seeing in the supply chain, and to talk through trends they're experiencing. Each producer works in the edibles and beverage category, where the largest growth is occurring during this crisis. But before we get to the discussions, let's talk about the word on the street. You hear the word on the street? Since our last broadcast, the word on the street has been revolution. Police violence, social inequities, and lack of accountability has created an eruption of civil unrest as hundreds of thousands of Americans in every city have come out of quarantine to protest. We're even seeing massive protests in solidarity in cities all over the world. The cannabis community has made claims of solidarity with the movement in every manner, from broad, generalized social media posts to full support with funds and resources. After all, if any industry is going to understand these social ills, it will be the cannabis industry. As far as the industry goes, these protests and riots have intersected in a number of ways. Many retail stores across the country have been looted, some completely destroyed. Many of these instances seem to suggest that they were informed jobs, not random acts of violence from civil unrest, while others were just unfortunately caught up in the stream of looting. This is what Pure Oasis co-owners Kevin Hart and Kobe Evans think happened to their store in Boston. Robbers even gained access to a security room in the back, signaling they knew what they were doing. Even still, the majority of these companies are standing in solidarity with the movement, regardless of the loss of income and merchandise they suffered. Berner, the man behind Cookies, as well as Debbie Goldsberry of Magnolia Wellness, said very similar things in response to the destruction and looting of their stores. Stores can be rebuilt, but dead people cannot be brought back to life. This is unprecedented and speaks to the heart of the best in our industry. Many fundraisers have started out of these protests, and the cannabis industry has been pushing them in many ways. On June 16th, Weed Maps hosted a live stream called I Got Five on It on Tupac's birthday of all days to raise funds for cannabis businesses, particularly the social equity licensees that were damaged during the looting. This kind of community support within the industry is why I joined the industry to begin with. Funds are also going to the Movement for Black Lives. Some of these stores are also using GoFundMe to raise money for rebuilding, like Magnolia in Oakland, mentioned earlier. Check in on your local dispensary and make sure they have what they need to survive and rebuild. And that's the word on the street. The social ills of racism, white supremacy, and white privilege are being discussed all over the world right now. This level of unrest across our country is a sign of things changing. The last time so much civil unrest occurred, we got the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Act. Times are changing, and we all need to be part of the solution. That brings us to this episode's pro tip. Pro tip. The pro tip for this episode is to diversify your workforce. 
There is plenty of need to provide opportunities to communities most impacted by the war on drugs from an ethical standpoint. This is reason enough to champion diversity. But let me offer you a few other reasons this should be a no-brainer in case you're not convinced or quote-unquote don't see color. It's a fact that the world we live in is shaped by how we learned about the world. Every culture and race in this country experiences life quite differently. When a cannabis company is a majority of white men, selling products to non-white men is a major challenge. The marketing and sales copy is written with a perspective not shared by the customer the features and benefits built based off of a white male frame of reference. Having more people of color and women in your company will ensure you're covering all perspectives on the world and ensure your product sales and marketing are actually relevant. Additionally, product development will be based on factors that impact the most amount of people possible, not accidentally missing entire segments of a market that a white man is likely blind to. And when we're talking about B2B relationships, We happen to be in one of the most diverse industries around. The company you're going to meet and try to sell to might have a diverse team or or even an all BIPOC team. If you walk in representing a diverse team, you'll have established a much more solid ground for relationship building and trust than if you were just another group of white dudes. You got to relate authentically to your core customer and any business partners you work with and sell to. Diversity and inclusion as a people strategy will only ever pay off. You just have to choose to be part of the solution. And now's the time. Get it done. That's the pro tip. Pro tip. This episode is brought to you by Confident Cannabis, the way to source wholesale B2B cannabis in California. If you have product to sell, or you need to acquire anywhere from biomass to retail-ready product, You can find it from only licensed vendors that have passed compliance testing. Get started for free today at wholesale.confidentcannabis.com. Okay, let's get into our discussion. I began by asking our guests what the state of their businesses were like during the COVID crisis. Up first is Sarah Adams, CEO of Mindset Organics. From their website, they have this to say about themselves. In a country divided by ideologies, Mindset Organics steps out to make our stand. We stand for the good of the people and the good of Mother Earth. We are more alike than different. We share in our love for our family, for our country, for blue sky and green mountains. With hearts of hippies, minds of scientists, and the discerning taste of gourmet chocolatiers, We aim to lift the stigma long associated with Mother Earth's most loving plant. Mindset Organics produces colitas, infused Belgian chocolates in three flavors. Here's what Sarah had to say about how their business is different during COVID. Well, I think the biggest difference is actually the uh, working environment. Uh, we, We used to be a very social, very... A friendly company where we like to all go in, everyone, uh, and we have a good time. Right. You know, we we definitely follow all the GMP for you know edibles uh, production, but at the same time, we have a good time. Sure. Uh, now, not so much. We take turn going in, and we have our social distancing. And for our production uh, people, if they don't need to go in, we schedule the least amount of people. So yeah, it's, it's certainly not as fun. 
kind of feels like a little bit of the the breath is out of the lungs sort of yeah yeah but you know we're just glad that we're still operating we're yeah, just happy absolutely. that you know that 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 we can do this and we can t- contribute to everyone else's well-being so yeah yeah we'll make our, it our work spir- <laughs> yeah right you, our spirits high amongst the staff do, do, do they see you know light at the end of the tunnel or is it just sort of like let's just keep our heads down and try to get through this it's actually a, a pretty optimistic environment so we're all yeah. feeling yeah so we're all feeling really good um because we're doing pretty well you know company wise yeah. um edibles are definitely up so we're doing well so there's there's definitely that kind of a, a quiet happiness <laughs> that's happening yeah, sure, sure. You know? <laughs> just sort of you know being grateful <laughs> right yes yes definitely yeah. count our blessings up next we hear from jake highmark ceo and co-founder of plus products California's number one gummy brand and producer of Plus Mints. According to their website, Plus creates premium infused products, dosable, low calorie, and delicious, made with love in California. Plus is available in over 400 different retail locations. COVID's been certainly an interesting time at Plus. I never thought that we would face some of the things that we're facing today uh, as a company, but with opportunities and challenges. On the opportunity side, we were classified very early in California as an essential business. And for us having a manufacturing facility, uh, we needed to have that manufacturing facility open in order to continue to create products. Um, But we also made a call pretty early that we did not want our sales team going out in the field, both for their own safety and for the safety of all the dispensaries. If you have people who are traveling from social group to social group, that's exactly the worst thing uh, in terms of spreading uh, coronavirus. And so exactly. the yeah. cannabis industry in particular has been like a largely cell phone and text message industry and everything else was done in person. So adjusting to video conferences across the entire industry for the sales team, I think was was a pretty interesting learning lesson. Uh, Indeed. Yeah. Did, did your sales team have any particular tools that they used to be able to make that, you know, that new effort uh, easier? Or uh, did you have to adopt new processes to be able to shift to that? Or was it just more of a, let's go back to the old days when we were just texting each other and, and Instagram DMing? It's a mix of all the above. We've always used Zoom inside our company for meetings. Uh, and I think now what's changed is it's normal to ask other people to join your Zoom. And something yeah. that we, we instituted pretty early in our company is we take the first five minutes of every call and meeting and really just check in with the other person. Almost everybody we're interacting with is either working from home or spending you know their life out in the world, which can be quite stressful when everybody else is working from home. And right. so by doing that sort of at a company level and then having everybody do it with people they're checking in, we've actually found it to be pretty effective just in making sure that we sort of keep calm and carry on. Yeah, I think there's a an interesting lesson to take out of that that comes from traditional cannabis industry sales, which is that it's very much a relationship, sales relationship kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like the the sales team and their clients have to have like a almost, you know, I trust you bro kind of relationship built for sales to go on according to the previous paradigm. And I think, you know, if COVID's done anything across all industries, it's sort of like shattered this like previous myth that you have to be in person to be able to make something meaningful happen. Uh, and it's interesting to see that you guys are, are able to, you know, not really face too much of an objection or a challenge to that previous idea of relationship being, you know, an in-person thing that has to occur and, it's, and still making it center to what your new 
procedure is just using different tools. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you've ever heard the phrase, if you can't handle me at my worst, you're not going to be able to deal with me at my best or something like that. I think that's true of the cannabis industry right now. Companies and people across the world are kind of stressed out and we're seeing who people actually are. And we're really lucky at Plus in that my mom actually led our HR for a long time early on in the company. And that led to sort of like a family dynamic where we really do care about people. We have like great health care. We were early in making sure that everybody, even some of our former employees during the crisis, like we checked in to see how they were doing, uh, make sure they were okay. Um, And that has gone a long way to sort of just emphasize the importance of being human. And if there's ever a moment that it has been important to be human, it is right now. Um, I think in the long run that, you know, that helps brands like Plus, uh, but it really just is, it's a better world. I think that in COVID, we're all rethinking, you know, where should our priorities be? And that's key. Up last but not least, we talk with James Rowan, director of major brands of Canacraft, producers of all lines of cannabis products, including Hi-Fi Hops, a cannabis beverage. Founded by lifetime cultivators, Canacraft's award-winning brand portfolio is the convergence of industry expertise, cutting-edge technology, and the belief that cannabis has the power to transform lives for the better. I think the last three or four months have shown everybody that whatever your plan was at the beginning of 2020, if you were able to get a plan through 2020, you're going to have to throw it out the window or at least reevaluate what you're doing. That's right. Um, But what I think people maybe outside of cannabis wouldn't understand is that every three to six months, it seems like there is some kind of iteration of upheaval in the cannabis industry, be it, you know, the the vaping crisis or regulation changes or legalization. I mean, packaging updates, we have to pivot and be so versatile all the time that it was interesting because when COVID and shelter in place hit, uh, we're, we're located in, in Santa Rosa, California. And as soon as it hit, we were able to pivot so, so quickly to kind of meet the changes. And there, across the board, there, there were a ton of changes, you know, right. social distancing requirements, masks on the face, gloves, all that sure. stuff. But the, the funny thing was, was that we were deemed an essential business. And so we were able to basically completely continue to, to operate just so long as, as we kind of met these requirements. Um, so it's interesting in that, you know, cannabis went from black market to essential service really, really quickly. Yeah. What a um, swing, right? It, <laughs> what a swing. And, and we could touch on that a little bit later, but you know, it's just funny to, to think it's not funny, but to think of how many people, um, you know, potentially are still incarcerated for cannabis while, while in California were, we're an essential business. Um, yeah. and so at Canacraft, um, we have a large, it's about a 42,000 square foot manufacturing facility in Santa Rosa and it just became full production. So, you know, six feet apart, those those standards yeah. are, are are impacted uh, the entire production team. Um, but they set up the entire office so that everybody could continue to produce, produce, produce and and make sure that people who have come to rely on cannabis in any form still had access to it you know, be it their medicine or, or be it their recreation of choice. Um, we wanted to make sure that there wasn't a dip in that supply chain. In in the month or two after COVID, when we first were, were sheltering in place, um, we saw huge spikes in consumer usage because people are at home. People need comfort. Um, people, you know, need right. needed something to just figure out, you know, what we're going through and, and how you deal with it and how, I'm not how sure you how respond. 
making it through this quarantine without my different cannabis products. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no, no. It's <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, I was always had my big pen on me, but, but now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I got three. Uh, That's right. Swapping um, out cartridges. So, exactly. Um, and so it was, I mean, that was kind of the shift that the, um, the social distancing requirements, the shelter in place, all of that stuff is, is still active at Canacraft. So normally we, we would take on public tours or anybody that wanted to come and see what legal cannabis manufacturing looks like, um, right. we'd love to have people in and show them the bottling line for Hi-Fi Hops, uh, the CO2 extractor room where we're extracting all of our cannabis oils. You know, just seeing what legal cannabis looks like. And just right now, we just can't have anybody that's not a non-essential worker in the building. So shout out to, to everybody that's at Canacraft day in and day out, who throughout this entire time have come to the office every single day to, to make sure that the supply chain wasn't fully impacted. It wasn't stopped, you know, it kept rolling. And we've seen that, you know, we continue to evolve, you know, we're able to, to work on new product development during this time. So not only continuing to produce our core catalog, but expanding into product innovation categories so we can bring those to market as well. I asked about what trends our guests have seen in the last three to four weeks. Sarah with Mindset shared her thoughts on trends in her category of edibles. Uh, most definitely that people are a lot more interested in edibles and users are asking asking about more of the ingestibles as opposed to the inhalables. Right. Yes. And um, we were talking before this interview, you were mentioning that uh, most of the of the team has decided to, you know, stop uh, smoking and vaping, even though that's something they love to do. Uh, because you were trying to follow CDC guidelines in yes. terms of, you know, not irritating your lungs. Do you feel like that's just something that is a, very, a popular belief a lot of consumers are following in the same footsteps? Yeah, we definitely feel that's the case. Edible sales are definitely up and we uh, as a company, we kind of all taken that approach just for the time being, you know, we want to protect our lungs. So we're not smoking, we're not vaping and we're not dabbing either. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so now we're just doing the, the chocolate that we make. Uh, we do have some uh, gummies that we uh, get from our, uh, you know, fellow uh, companies that do that that make good gummies. Um, yep. So and, and drinks, they're 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 all up, and there are a lot of choices uh, nowadays. Um, there are more producers out there making very quality products, so consumers have a lot of choices what yep. type of edibles, how they want to use it, you know, besides smoking and vaping, consumers have options now. When you see that, um, that edibles are up uh, from retailers, are, does that mean that just all edible companies are seeing a lift in demand and sales? And, and, and does that change sort of the selling and buying environment currently when it comes to dealing with retailers? Are, are you finding more retailers that you previously hadn't worked with are now discovering you because of high demand and need for more diverse products? Or like, what is that dynamic looks like? Well, there's actually kind of two, two approaches. You have some shops that are more in the conservative mode. So they, uh, we do have some shops that say, sorry, we're not taking any new brands. We're only working with uh, existing brands. So if we are already in those shops, that's great. Uh, but those shop, there, there's some shops that are just sticking with what they know. Right. But you also have on the other spectrum, you have a lot of shops that uh, are willing to uh, try different edibles. You know, consumers, users are coming in and 
and, and they're t- kind of tired or not tired, but they just want to try something new. And uh, edible companies kind of traditionally takes a little longer to break into new shops. And we have definitely found on one spectrum, you have shops that are very willing to try new products and right, say, right. hey, this is a this is a good looking product, it, you know, good quality. Let's give it a shot. So so it's kind of a two spectrum, yeah. two, two, two sides. James at Canacraft continues opining on the trends in edibles and digs into the trends we've been seeing in the beverage category. Canacraft produces Hi-Fi Hops, a leading cannabis beverage product in California produced in partnership with Lagunitas Brewing. Yeah, edibles is such an interesting category, you know, because it's hugely dominant overall if you're looking at the cannabis industry. Um, And then if you look within edibles at what's really performing, it's gummies for kind of some reason, you know, and it's like, well, how long can that trend last? Like, I, <laughs> exactly. you know, like my teeth are struggling but, by the way. So when it comes to the gummies, I'm just like, I like them, but I don't know that I can be chewing on gummies all damn day. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Definitely. Well, luckily ABX just launched some gummies and we like to say they're denture proof. Um, so we'll, oh, nice, <laughs> we'll, nice. yeah, we'll get you a, a bag to try. Um, great. But insofar as beverage, you're really starting to see that growth in the beverage category. I believe as cannabis normalization um, starts to to continue to to take hold, the beverage category overall, people tend to not pay attention to it because if we're looking overall at the cannabis industry within California, within the United States, beverage makes up a small percentage of the total dollars sold. In, right. in cannabis. But if you look within that, you see this kind of explosive growth because people are starting to expand how they consume cannabis. Flour is and probably always will be, you know, number one. But beverage is really, really starting to grow. And at Canacraft, we identified that as, as an area of importance. Now, yes, it doesn't it doesn't track the highest amount of dollars, and that that's just where it sits. So people I think don't want to play in that realm. Right. But we realize the importance of it. I mean, beverage in general is such a huge category in retail across the United States. Um, you kind of see that shift in beverage trends every you know four or five years, be it your uh, guayaki yerba mates or a cold brew coffee or it was kombucha. Now it's LaCroix or sparkling waters, yeah. you know? And I probably have see- 60 plus cans of something sitting in a, in a refrigerator in my, in my garage right now. <laughs> who does, from kombucha who to sparkling water to yeah you know and, the whole thing and you just nailed it a lot of people in the united states have a second second refrigerator somewhere in their house in the garage or or you know yep. dedicated to beverage that's um, absolutely right. you know you have you have retail spaces and they have entire coolers and walls and sections dedicated to beverage so obviously something is there we have seen beverages in general i think if you look historically at it it was how many milligrams of thc can i pack into this thing yeah not paying attention to flavor taste it was literally just put the thc in there and it's just a delivery mechanism for high potency THC. And and you know what? A beverage can be a great delivery device for it. Um, and we yeah. still see, if you look at the beverage category, you still see 100 milligram beverages that pretty much lead most of, of the top products in the category. And I get it. You know, people really are still looking for that potency. But on the other end of that spectrum uh, is hi-fi hops. 
by volume, Hi-Fi Hops is the number one beverage in California by far, right, right. significantly. Um, by dollars sold, no, you're going to have your 100 milligram of THC options that that you know kind of appear in in the number one and the number two position. So, if you're kind of if if you're going by volume, Hi-Fi Hops is the number one beverage in California, and it makes sense. It's familiar to people. Um, it's in a familiar form factor. It right. feels social, you know. It's well, something this that kind you of like, have with your friends. Th- this speaks really to that uh, distinction you made earlier about uh, fastest growing versus overall, you know, uh, performance, right? And when you look at the fastest growing things in the cannabis industry, you've got beverages, uh, especially right now. And that pairs very well with the fastest growing consumer segments in the cannabis industry, which are seniors and like soccer parents. Those two uh, demographics aren't looking for 100 milligram drinks. They aren't looking to smoke. They want something familiar, like you just mentioned. And the idea that there is going to be this growth in the future that you can look at the analogs and all these other industries and see, hell, if you want to talk about just the sparkling water category, look at the explosion of alcoholic sparkling water beverages like White Claw (laughs) or, you know, there's there's a lot of growth that is to occur when you pair all of these trends together. And it seems like the smart way to think of beverages is to look at fastest growing, not overall performance. It's totally, totally right. And if you look at why those segments in traditional beverage are, I mean, people are really looking for low-cal, low-sugar options, you know? Right. Um, and and something that's important about Hi-Fi Hops and was important in crafting Hi-Fi Hops was that we had something that's sessionable, that you could have more than one of you know, and, and feel good, um, feel like you're really, really in control. These are kind of the, the options that you're seeing reflected. People are looking for a better alternative. So we're, we're continuing to expand the category, but we just know that the long, it's that long play for beverage. Jake discusses the trends that were challenging for plus and other trends that will challenge the industry moving forward. So the first thing that was interesting to see was just there was a supply chain disruption for us in terms of our tins. So our tins are actually manufactured by a company whose headquarters is in Switzerland and they're manufactured yeah. in several parts of the world. And I uh, was actually upset because we had over ordered and over procured mm-hmm. in, in January, February. And we had, you know, a few extra months of supply and I couldn't really, you know, we got a little bit of a price break by doing it, but not one that made any sense. Mostly because yeah. when you start having containers of tin start showing up at your warehouse, you realize that maybe you don't have a place to store them all. And of that course. becomes a problem. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, then COVID happened. And of course, you know, shipping pretty much shut down around the world. And so that was tough. I, I would say that on the cannabis side, the suppliers that we use at Plus, we've used for many years. They've been supplying us for um, at least two years old to us, which is not an you know incredible length of time, but in the cannabis industry, it's actually quite a long amount of time. Sure. And they uh, had some issues with some of their farmers and some other people who were having uh, some pain. And so we leaned in with them to help with credit terms and with all the things that you do uh, on the upside of your supply chain. So we haven't seen a ton of disruption. I, I think there's a big question in terms of what is going to happen to the cannabis environment uh, in, on the wholesale side over the next year. I think a lot of it is going to be what happens on the regulatory side um, because I think that 
a lot of people last year were having to choose between selling in the black market where you're making more money and selling in a, in a legal market where you're not. Um, and you know, is that going to continue to be the choice? Are regulators going to actually be more involved? And are most importantly, are those who are making product without pesticides doing things, you know, in an organic, the right way, are are those people going to be rewarded? Because so far to date, they have not been. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you're getting punished for making all the right decisions because those decisions are more expensive and there's no uh, acknowledgement or or award there for the companies doing it right, even if they're ahead of the curve. Yeah. It's like if you do everything right, you're more likely to go out of business. It's just an awful environment for on the uh, production side. And there was an incredible amount of investment in production uh, as well across the state. Unfortunately, not all of it's sustainable. Considering the challenges present in the supply chain, I asked Sarah if they've noticed a change in the supply chain for source material. I began asking if Mindset created their own extractions or sourced those from specialists. We don't do our own extraction. And that is actually a a very uh, interesting supply chain topic that uh, in the beginning of our company formation, we spent a lot of time discussing and debating and kind of uh, formulating, like, you know, kind of building models on if we extract ourselves versus buying bulk distillate from other producers. Yeah. And we ultimately chose to uh, not be vertical ourselves. Uh, we kind of, uh, we saw early on the type of licenses that were being issued. Uh, and we, at the time, predicted that distillates and extracts will become almost a commodity right. uh, in the industry. And um, as a matter of fact, that has happened. Uh, exactly, so we, yeah. yeah, so we're, we're, we're happy with our decisions. And also we're, we're, we're happy with the fact that there are producers solely focused on extraction. They can provide the highest quality product to you know producers like us that don't do yeah, that's the category they can just specialize in, and then right. they can serve the entire market. Whether they're building, you know, uh, companies are building vape pens or building edibles mm-hmm. or wh- whatever product they're trying to build. Um, right. You know, you've got some specialists right there in that one sliver of the supply chain, uh, right. which is yeah. probably going to be the most cost-effective solution. Exactly. And that's very important to producers like us. Uh, we very much, uh, we put a lot of effort uh, into uh, formulation. It really, that's, you know, all of our scientific expertise. We're from the pharma industry. We focus yep. on that and we don't have to focus on producing the best extract as right. well. You know, we leave that to someone else. So yep. I definitely see uh, in California the, the the way that the market, the industry has evolved. Um, it, it's 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 a really good it's a really good model, and I feel like our consumers definitely benefit from everyone focusing, specializing on what they're good at. I continue on with Sarah discussing the challenges mindset has faced in this crisis as a company. Okay, so I guess the biggest challenge you know, that we have faced may, may be actually reaching the uh, consumer, the end user, because, yeah. um, you know, producers, brands like us, we relied on uh, PAD, Patient Appreciation Day, 
more of yep. the in-store demo, the in-store promotions. Um, right. That um, dr- like really drives a lot of our sales, and a, a big part of uh, brands' marketing effort goes to these in-person, in-store, you know, promotional type of events. And yep. that has been completely canceled. Exactly. So, yeah. so without being able to reach the consumers, and then then we don't have the education piece. And for you know, product like ours, which is very heavy into minor cannabinoids, entourage effect, you know, just effects and benefits that are a little bit lesser known to the general user user base. Yeah. That without that education piece, uh, it, it does kind of impact um, our our ability to really uh, reach you know the consumers. Certainly. And, and 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 another actually now now here's something else is is a little more unpredictable buying pattern. So okay. so you know in March and April you had this kind of a, a stockpile buying stockpile buying. So <laughs> we have a lot of there there's kind of a big bump. And then later in April, early in May, you have, you know, more of a slowdown in purchasing. So it's kind of like, it's harder for us to predict and, and plan our production, you know, with. Yeah. There's, there's all this, like, uh, there's a lot of interest as to whether or not, you know, consumption will be up over this time or whether this was just like these little burst buys that are matched with, you know, normal consumption so that you would expect the normal peaks and valleys that would come with that to stabilize. But, um, you know, there may consumption's up you know we, we don't really know yet and it's hard to predict right. i see what you mean right yeah so you have two months of data and one is one month is really up the other month is kind of okay maybe correcting a little bit so that i guess is is you know is a problem that we're facing yeah and, and what you said uh earlier about reaching the consumer i think scratches on another trend that is developing that um you know it, it, it had started prior to covid but because of COVID in particular, because of the loss of this in-store experience, there's really been uh, a massive boon in the conversation around direct-to-consumer models. Right. And um, and I know a number of different companies, particularly the beverage category, have been really utilizing the direct-to-consumer model to drive their purchases during this crisis, which is basically saying, I'm going to find my exact target customer digitally or some other way, and I'm going to make sure I reach out to them and build their interest for a product so that they go into the store or the online shop experience expecting to buy that already you know the education's happening online or right. whatever through social media and uh, it, it, it sounds like you know if there's one thing that's going to definitely continue past covid it's this direct-to-consumer model continuing to blossom yes i can definitely see that um there there has been an increase in traffic to our social media sites um so i can see that direct-to-consumer marketing direct-to-consumer education is going to uh, really ramp up for for i think brands all across i also wanted to know what major challenges james was seeing over on the canacraft side i would say that the biggest challenges are making sure that we're able to hit every account for all of their orders for all of the requested product and make sure across the board, you know, big or small, we're able to fully fulfill that order in a timely fashion and complete and and to deliver it safely. Um, and we've really responded to that beautifully. Um, I, I Production think if you management look at- bandwidth, you know, management is essentially what you're talking about. Yes. Yes, exactly. It was, you know, like we, like we've said, the cannabis industry pivots, it's what we know. Um, and the people that, that work in it from, from the production floor up are so 
willing to rise to that challenge. Whatever it's going to throw at us, whatever the world throws and, and whatever changes come to our industry, it's full of a lot of really, really hardworking and dedicated people who make it seem like the lift is easy. On the subject of challenges, James and I discussed how to plan for the future, particularly during a crisis. He focused on macro industry goals for us to look at and talked about how Canacraft engages these goals. You mentioned something that I think is really important outside of COVID as much as during COVID, which is the fact that the cannabis industry is so turbulent, it's unpredictable. I remember being asked, um, you know, I think it was last year or so in an interview, uh, what do you think the next five years is going to look like? And I was like, are you five years? Are you fucking kidding? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, roll a dice. I have no idea. <laughs> you we know, know, shit changes three to six months, three to six months, months at be. a time. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, I think that's not to say it's unimportant to plan. It's just, uh, you know, be realistic about what you can predict. Absolutely. And there are major goals that we can set for ourselves and for our industry. You know, can can we free incarcerated nonviolent criminals who have been sentenced for a plant? You know, who are who are still imprisoned, especially right now during this movement when when, you know, today we can't not talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, about systemic racial injustice. Um, And we've been at Canacraft uh, fortunate enough and and a lot of people in the industry have to to partner with the last prisoner project, um, which really their mission is to do that work. Um, And they do incredible, incredible work. And so I think if we look at that as a goal for like a five year goal. Um, We could look at increasing state legalization. Um, We can look at a federal descheduling. So at the very least, cannabis isn't equated to heroin. I think those are things that we're going to start to see in the future as things open up and and we'll start to see, you know, normalization continue to increase. I'm really glad that you brought up uh, Last Prisoner Project in conjunction with the Black Lives Matter movement, because as we've seen lately, every single issue that the Last Prisoner Project deals with has been brought to the surface as one of the most pressing and salient issues we can deal with, which is the massive prison industrial complex, the war on drugs, the target targeting of black and brown people across the country by police. You know, I, I've always been a fan of the Last Prisoner Project. It's it's impossible not to be a fan of that mission. But really lately, just knowing what has been happening, knowing how many people are standing up and marching out in the streets for the same cause, uh, it seems like the Last Prisoner Project uh, mission has become almost even more important. I think now more people are aware of why that's so important and are willing to to stand up and back it. So anyone who's listening to this, companies, individuals, I don't care who you are, find some way to give to this organization or to partner with them uh, and I and I massively applaud what Canacraft has been doing, particularly the farmer and the felon line, giving proceeds to uh, Last Prisoner Project and putting it on all of their packaging, I think is so important and so great. And the timing right now could not be more pressing for it. It couldn't. The work that the Last Prisoner Project does, and, and if anybody's looking, uh, you can go to lastprisonerproject.org. The work that they we're already doing, that message has now been amplified in the current environment. And people are starting to realize, especially as you look inwardly, and if you work in the cannabis industry, I don't think it's that hard to do. You look inwardly and you think about this essential business that we have, and then you just hear about these people that are are in prison for for up to life. You know, there's yeah. a man in Detroit, Michael Thompson, who is serving 40 to 60 years for getting caught with a uh, 
three pounds of cannabis in, in Michigan, you know, and he's served 25 years already. And so mm-hmm. it's just that, that kind of, of messaging resonates with people, especially right now. And uh, we'll continue to see their support grow. It's just everything that they were doing was already correct. And I'm glad that they're getting extra focus and attention that they need to, to really make sure some of this reform is, is happening at an expedited rate. Jake and I pick up on the topic of doing good as a company as a matter of strategy rather than a PR move, as so many do. He tells me the story of how Plus chose the charity they work with. Hell, we even discuss why companies exist in the first place. When companies authentically do good, that is an actual profitable strategy. It's, it, it, it does, it's because the consequence of doing good authentically is seen and is, and is repaid with loyalty and with inspiration. And that does help a company, but it's only because you're doing the right thing, not necessarily because you have some empty PR strategy behind it. I think that's really cool whenever a company is able to see that. Yeah, I, I think it's important. I think it goes to like, why do we even let companies exist as a society, right? Why do we allow this like artifact that's not normal uh, right. to exist there? And I think that doing good has to be part of that equation. I think that social like consciousness, consumerism and all this stuff, you know, can create an argument for why you should be doing good as a company. But even if not, at the end of the day, for at least me personally, it's important to be trying to do good because I feel better. And I know that's not a great lens for most of what we do at a company, but I know that my co-founders and I agree. We do this stuff uh, and we try to make a difference because it's just what you should do. And that's an okay reason. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's where you create that inspiration. Um, I, I remember seeing a study that was done by a, uh, a publication that focuses specifically on corporate social responsibility. And what they found was that inspired employees produce at 325% the level of a merely satisfied employee, which produces at 100% productivity. So to be wow. able to take an employee from just satisfied, where they are doing exactly what you're asking of them at the 100% mark, to inspired and engaged requires some extra thing that means something that they're working on, right? And that reflects back on their productivity. 325% is a market improvement on someone's productivity merely by just taking them from the doing your job to doing the job for a purpose, you know? And that that little switch, like you mentioned, I think really gives you a purpose for why you do what you do, right? Absolutely. And I think when you look at what's going on in the world right now with COVID, with Black Lives Matter protests, I think the companies and the people who are showing up for one another and showing up for what they believe in um, are at a moment where they're going to be most impactful. I mean, I think this is a a highlight uh, for companies that if you didn't have that strong foundation, you cannot build it quickly. It has to sort of be there from the beginning. Yeah. And you have to have more than just a message. There has to be something you're actually going to do uh, and build and have a strategy for doing to be able to be able to inspire an employee group, to be able to inspire, you know, clients of or, or customers of your product or brand, your company. You have to have something real behind it. It's not just a, oh, we donate some money here and, you know, aren't we great? <laughs> you know, there's exactly a strategy. There, there has to be a why. And so, for, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So like Plus has done this thing for years where we do a pride uh, edition of origami every every summer and it's fun like my co-founder uh, a guy named crunchy and i came like when we did it the first time we had this little thought in the back of our head which is are we just joining the ranks of the corporate companies who stick rainbows on their labels and don't actually do anything yeah. even though this cause is important to both of us i mean we're from the bay area we have a lot of friends in the career community um, yep. and we wanted to be able to give back and we chose the sf nightlight fund this year to like help 
that group out, mostly because of the history of queer, uh, the queer movement in this in this country and the Stonewall riots and like the importance of nightlife and drag queens and like all of these people who were the foundation of this in a way that, to be honest, doesn't resonate with most people who aren't steeped in the history of social movements. Like it's just sort of like, great, I don't care. Um, Certainly. And then and then you have like this this huge like post George Floyd Black Lives Matter movement where you can't go back and choose a different organization to support it was either authentic and it resonates or yeah. not and we got don't get me wrong we got extremely um extremely thoughtful in that and the fact that it ties into social movement right now uh we could have never predicted that but i think that if you're not careful and thoughtful in the choices that you're making you don't get those opportunities that really come along you know once in a lifetime yeah, you know, it's sort of, uh, I'm probably going to get the adage wrong, but it's like, you know, uh, there's no such thing as luck. There's just being in the right place at the right time or having the right 100%. opportunities, something like that. But, you know, when you set your strategy in place, whether that's your business strategy or your social good strategy or whatever, the reason to go through the, the work of setting a solid strategy in place is because it puts you where you need to be three, four, five steps ahead, even when you don't know what's going to happen. Um, and it's and it's a compass. It's a, you know, it's your true north, where you march when you need to find your way. And when that happens, you find these opportunities that just sort of, you know, appear before you, not because you needed an opportunity, but just because you set that strategy in the right place, it put you on the right track and you were there to to do something when something needed to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a hope. And and when we get it right, it's great. And sometimes we won't get it right. And that's okay too, because I think as long as you're trying to do it with like good intent, you have the right people around who are thoughtful and you don't give up. I think that, you know, you're on a path to at least possible success, which is really what matters. So when Sarah and I first spoke, it was weeks before the protests had even began And we didn't really have an opportunity to dig into that topic and why it was important to discuss. Since then, the other two uh, guests that I had on were interviewed during the sort of explosions of this unrest and these protests. So I wanted to bring Sarah back on uh, and discuss this with her as well. And she prepared some words for the moment and for this topic that she'd really like to read to everybody. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Sarah for that. Yeah, it has been really a, a few very interesting weeks. It's, you know, kind of a distress at the same time is very promising. And I feel like maybe it's just the optimism, you know, optimistic in me that I I feel like, like we are on the right path. Yep. Yeah, I agree. There's like a, an awakening that has occurred around this particular moment of protesting of this same issue that we've been protesting for decades now and it's global, you know, so there is some optimism there. I, I agree with you in that it feels different how many people are are taking part and are speaking out and are having their voices heard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, the key right now is to keep this going. We, we, we need to keep going. This is not the end and, and we can do more. To that end, I know that your team prepared uh, some words in, in response to this. Would you like to go ahead and read those? Yes. I want to take a few minutes to share our thoughts on the most important current event, the Black Lives Matter movement. The movement is long overdue. It is not something anyone can choose to look away from. I know I'm preaching to the choir in the cannabis industry, but the message needs to be repeated over and over again until real policies are changed. It is time to listen, learn, act, and love. The murders of George, Brianna, and Amal are only the tip of the iceberg. These are just the ones caught on tape. 
As my dear friend and our photographer, Carmen, said, these events trigger traumas every single black and brown person has experienced and continues to experience in their life. The moments when we were told or experienced that our life was less than, unimportant, insignificant, hated, and even worse, expendable. And know that this is a snapshot. It's not a one and done. This type of brutality and racist behavior occurs every single day in communities in this country. As a POC female founder, I'm painfully aware of the systemic racism in our country. I don't need to remind you that racism is the reason why cannabis was made a Schedule One controlled substance in the 70s, so that the government can arrest Black people and hippies without them ever committing any crimes. We need this to stop. We need to act, protest, and chant, demand real policy change, and listen when people tell you their experiences. They're not lying or exaggerating. They're exhausted. Yeah, it's a powerful statement. And I really, you know, I hear so much of the empathy that exists within um, your team, yourself, your photographer. These are things that, you know, as a a white man, I just don't experience personally. But where you left it with listen, I think is the most important part of that. If if people like myself do not listen to people of color and do not listen to, you know, their experiences, we are completely erasing the reality that they live in on a daily basis. And it's only through listening that we're actually going to become empathetic to and understanding of the the tor- sort of injustices that you face. And if we don't know that those injustices exist, if we aren't listening to people of color, then we aren't doing anything to change it. And we're only really allowing it to occur and at worst are actually quite complicit in the system that has been created. I think it's an important point. Yeah, and, and just just hearing you say this, I mean, this just gives us so much hope. I mean, this is this is what we need. It's it's just for for that awareness, for that for that recognition. And and once like this is the first step. And and, and we're in that first step and we can take it further. And and with the white allies, I guess we can say, like understanding and, and taking the time to listen. And this is really going to translate into some real policy change. I, I'm curious, do you know any of the the retailers that, that unfortunately had either been targeted or just sort of caught up in the looting whenever the protests uh, were at their early fever pitch? Um, yeah. a, have you known of any of those businesses that had that lost either their their merchandise or possibly even their whole livelihood during that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, well, we have uh, some shops that we work with up in Oakland and Sacramento that were hit. And um, it, it, yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to recover together. So, um, you know, we're working with our distributor and a few other brands uh, to see what we can do. You know, it's something that we're working on, um, you know, trying to, you know, provide free products to, to kind of recover their, their inventory, uh, restock. It, it, it's not something that we're really advertising much, but I know that a lot of brands are doing that. We don't need to turn this into a marketing opportunity or a campaign, uh, but you know the industry it is coming together and help. And yeah, you're seeing solidarity there yeah. between producers and, and retailers. Right. Yeah. Jake also shares his thoughts on retail stores being looted, as well as how they're working with their partners to help them recoup their losses. So it's really disappointing to see stores looted across the state, especially because the state 
had already had such a poor record in terms of trying to move us from an entirely black and gray market to a legal market. Right. And this is just a sign that we weren't there and we weren't as far as we need, it needed to be. Whether the people who are doing looting are organized or not, it, it certainly doesn't help us get there faster. And I think right. that's bad for consumers. It's bad um, for businesses. Uh, and ultimately, we all lose uh, when this happens. So it's just disappointing. Um, as far as what we're seeing from stores, it's very different region by region and store by store. And unfortunately, we've seen more than 60 stores impacted already in California. Um, wow. But, you know, some stores have had uh, their front glass broken and that's it. And other stores have top to bottom been uh, ripped apart. Uh, one of our yeah. employees actually lives on the same block as a store and, and their apartment was broken into um, and stuff was mm. taken as well. And so, you know, I think companies that have in, it really empowered their salespeople to understand the importance and the difference between a store that has basically just had entire livelihood stolen um, and one that basically had a front glass broken and a couple iPads stolen uh, right. need different responses, right? And so that's not to say that we don't help, you know, the store that lost iPads get their iPads back, but we re think it's really important to lean in to make sure that those stores who are often in places where there aren't many other stores that are doing legal business around are the right. ones that we take care of first. Um, and yeah. so, you know, we're doing uh, the first thing we did was extend, you know, price breaks and cases and make sure that there was product that was available to those stores. But actually, uh, we did a communication from our sales team, right, to the stores. We made sure that we were talking to them to make sure that they knew whether they wanted to start up their store again this month or wait a month and do it next month. Uh, we were there for them. Um, we didn't That's want amazing. them to feel like they had to get, you know, back you know, to business to try and make up for the fact at a potentially dangerous time also, because if you've just been looted and protests are still ongoing outside your front door, you, yeah. you may be worried still, and you shouldn't have to make a choice between op reopening your business in a potentially dangerous time and worried about being in business. That's not a good place to be. What a time to be alive, huh? As if we don't have enough to worry about running a cannabis company, our country is doing worse handling the virus than any other leading country even worse than some third world countries. Despite how hard all of this is, we must continue fighting for justice. So it's there when we emerge from this coronavirus hell. Keep an eye out next week for the bonus episodes from this special, where I will release unedited interviews with each of my guests and you can hear so much more of the great thoughts they shared. In the meantime, rather than leave you with a fun fact, I'm going to kick it to James at Canacraft to sign us off. Thanks for listening huge shout out and a big big thank you to everybody um, in any in the cannabis industry in any space all you essential workers out there um, everybody who does go in day in and day out um, and make sure that people have access to cannabis um, you know being on the front line for us is, has been hugely impart, uh, important so thank you to everybody and and thanks for having me Brad absolutely James thank you so much for that message I totally agree everybody does need to hear that if they've been out there risking their lives for us to continue to be able to access our cannabis uh, as a consumer and a person in the industry it is definitely very much appreciated high on our own supply is hosted and produced by brad bogus it is sponsored by confident cannabis you can check out confident cannabis at wholesale.confidentcannabis.com our theme song is written by tone oliver check out tone oliver at toneoliver.com or on any of your music streaming apps like spotify 
Make sure and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Giving you the game, all facts, no lies, yeah, yeah.